0: bible very often or you were in sunday school when you were a kid or something you've often heard some stories you heard that jesus cleared out the temple one day in jerusalem he went in there and he went to his father's house and he found that they were selling stuff and and making money off the people and just all this commerce going on in the house of god and he was like my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer what have you done it doesn't doesn't look anything like a reverent place where we worship the living God. It looks like you're just trying to make money off the house of God. And he got mad, and what did he do? He got a whip, and he ran everybody out of there. All those money changers turned over the tables. It looked like it, Jesus lost his temper, what it looks like. But if you study the Scripture, you'll find out that's not the case. It says he took the time to make that whip out of some rope. So I can imagine him sitting on the steps of the temple. putting. That, he probably was steaming. And he was putting that rope together and making that whip. probably took an hour or so. But during that time, he, he was probably asking himself, do I really want to do this? You know, the Bible says to be slow to wrath. And Jesus demonstrated that. He, he put that whip together, and he decided, yes, this is some righteous anger. <laughs> and so he drove those money changers out of there. So there is a righteous anger. In John 2, verse 17, it says, Then his disciples remembered the prophecy, from the scriptures, prophecy about Jesus and the way he would feel. It says, passion for God's house will consume me. You want to know Jesus' heart about his church, about his father's house? It's passion, and it consumes him. You see, the church is Jesus' project. It's not just a pet project. It's his project. It's his ambition, his main passion, his favorite subject. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus feels this way about this house of God because I love it too. I love what Jesus loves. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, if you're not on board with what Jesus is doing, then you're not doing your Christianity right. Amen? But some people, you know. I heard a story about this one woman. She knocked on her son's bedroom one Sunday morning and says, Get up, it's time to go to church. He says, I'm not going. She says, Why not? He said, Two reasons. First, they don't like me there. And second, I don't like them neither. And she says, Well, son, I got two reasons you will be going. First, you're 47 years old, and second, you're the pastor. Well, thank goodness that's not our church. I'm the pastor, and I'm glad to be here. And I feel loved, and I love each and every one of y'all. We got a good church. We got things are going well here at the Passion Church. I was thinking just this morning, how many of y'all show up early and just to fellowship? Some of y'all get here before 10 o'clock. For the rest of you that don't get here that early, they get here at like 10 o'clock. And they they come in pre-service prayer. And just an excitement building in this place. You know, I've been in churches where people don't show up till after praise and worship. That's not good. But there's an excitement. People here. When we was just greeting and fellowshipping one another, I mean, he had to knock on that microphone. He'd go, okay, settle down. Everybody, get to your seats. You know, I almost had to force people to stop fellowshipping. That's alive. And you know, uh, this past Wednesday, we had 40 people in this sanctuary, not counting the adults in the back. 40 adults came to a next-level Wednesday class. You don't see that, that big a percentage of people in a church coming to the Wednesday service. We've been running, looks like we'll do it again today, over 70 for two weeks in a row on Sunday. That's awesome. I mean, we're growing. And, uh, but that also tells me if you weren't here for the Wednesday service, you're now in the minority because over half of you showed up wanting to go to the next level. Man, there's excitement in the house of God. Just last week, uh, I counted over 53 salvations, 53 people who stood up and said the sinner's prayer with repentance in their heart, hopefully, and gave their heart to Jesus through the many outreaches that we have with people in this church. So you're a part of something big. I'm telling you, you could go to some of these big mega churches that don't see 53 people born born again in one week. Some of them may not see 53 people born again in a year we're a soul winning church there's things going on that's good around here more people are getting set free filled with the holy ghost i'm seeing you guys get involved at a rate that i've never seen before it's almost like everybody in here is putting their hand to the plow saying i want to use my gifts and abilities for the church of god and we're finding places to plug you in and it's getting good it's really getting good It's the way it's supposed to be we got our youth to sit on the front row on the front row Now, how many churches do you see the youth even coming on Sundays, much less sitting on the front row? And they're in the amen corner. Amen? Amen? See? They help me preach. And then we got the children back there. Oh, my goodness. You know, parents, they can't wait to get here. They're being loved on back there. They're being taught the word of God. They're excited. They play together. They're building relationships. They're learning that the house of God is the place to be. And most importantly, God is here. Like I said, I can just feel his presence. And this is a spirit-filled church. We're healthy, we're living, we're loving, and we're a church with purpose. We're a church with purpose. We're not here just to make each other feel good. We're here, we have, there's a plan behind what we're doing. And we're not where we want to be. But we're moving in the right direction. Amen. What would you add to that? Did anybody have anything they'd like to add about the church, real quick? What are some things that you see that I, did, I forgot to mention? I probably. I look she looks forward to coming. Every time you leave, she says she's glad she didn't miss that. <laughs> huh? this, is this is your family. Amen. Amen. For those of you who, you know, maybe hadn't been here and maybe this is your first time or something, you sound like, who are these people just bragging on themselves? Well, we don't do this all the time, but this is September. It's I Love My Church Month. And so we're going to talk about those things today. We're excited about what's going on. Let's read our mission statement. You know, our mission statement is a picture of who we're becoming. It's who we are already, but we may not even know it yet. But it's where we're going. Let's read it together on account count of three. One, two, three. We are a fun, loving family, eager to reach out with God's love to all who have lost their way. Everyone matters. We're a hospital of hope and a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. And how many of you are starting to discover that there's a deeper purpose to your existence than you knew before through the Word of God and teaching and the Spirit of God in this place? It's it's palatable. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, a lot of people today, they say, I don't don't have to go to church to be a Christian. (laughs) Have you heard that? That's... In the today's society, you, but you don't have to go to the lake to be a fisherman, you know, but you're not going to catch a lot of fish from your lazy boy. And and if uh, you're not going to church as a Christian, you're, you're doing it wrong. Jesus is building his church. This is what we do. Well, they say, but I, I can just watch it on TV. Well, when you lose that loved one or you lose your job or you need some wisdom, or you need somebody to come alongside you and pick you up, you know, and help you through the storm of your life, I hope you and that TV get along just fine. I I hope that TV is there for you. But see, the TV can't be there for And when did it become about a sermon? That's all you're going to get on TV. See, Sunday morning is not about a sermon. Church is not about a sermon. Sermons are good. It encourages us. This is a filling station. And I'm glad, I hope you like the preaching and I hope we have a good sermon and we learn and everything, but it's not about the sermon. Church is about using your God-given abilities and talents to help others. It's not about sitting there getting puffed up with a bunch of knowledge. You know, a lot of churches, sad to say, but that's what it's become, is how much knowledge can we get? But is that benefiting the, the kingdom of God at all, just to have a bunch of smart people not using their gifts and abilities. We don't come to church just to get. That's why you're getting here early. That's why you're fellowshipping. That's why you're coming here for prayer. You're building yourselves up. And you're you're trying to be there for somebody going through something. Some say, well, I don't have anything against God. It's just his children and I don't like (laughs) those hypocrites. You heard that? Yeah, well you ain't been on the internet very much. On those blogs and stuff. And I don't like his chill I don't like the people. Well, that sounds a lot like the devil. You know, don't say that. This is we're talking about people that God Jesus bled and gave his life for. And a church that he's building his passion. Why would why would we say that about his people, you know? You don't go to a hospital and and Bad-mouth it because they got sick people there. Has anybody ever done that? I hate going to hospitals. A bunch of sick people. (laughs) Well, see, we're a hospital of hope here. People who have lost their hope come here. And people are are battling things and going through things in their life. And we're all at different stages. And we're helping each other get through this thing called life because life comes at you fast. And so we don't get down because... Some people don't do it like we think they should do it. You know, this ain't leave it to beaver. There's no cookie-cutter Christians. We're going through life together. And so, don't talk like that. I mean, I, the reason I say that because I see a lot of Christians agreeing with those posts and, and adding to it, and I'm thinking, whose side are you on, you know? Don't make Jesus whip up another whip on us now. <laughs> That'll make Jesus mad you go talking about his his church. Uh, I know that many of you have testimonies, and I'll probably be asking some of you to to give a testimony this month. Today I've asked uh, the soon-to-be newlyweds, Mitch and Angela, if they would give a short testimony about uh, what this church has meant to their life. Would you come, come up? Give them a big hand.
1: Pastor asked me to come up and talk this week. I thought I would write a bunch of stuff out, and a lot of things was on my mind to speak about. And then uh, I thought I would just shoot from the hip. I thought, well, I just uh, pray about it, and and then so I don't have anything prepared. I know Angela's scared to death here. That she didn't know she was. I didn't tell her she's going to speak. But uh, I'll will start with uh, I guess the the rough side when I first the first time I ever came in this church. Um, I grew up as a Christian. My mom made me go to church whether I wanted to or not, me and my brother, and uh, went to church all my life and called myself a Christian and knew Jesus and pretty pretty much a good kid, a little bit wild, but, you know, I ended up, uh, as I got older, got out on my own and started doing my own things and ended up meeting a beautiful girl and getting married and things was great. I was (laughs) racing racing sprint cars, and, and uh, living my life on my own. I was, you know, Mitch was running everything, and at the time, things were good. Well, slowly, the devil started getting a hold of Mitch, and I started living uh, life the way he did, not knowing it, and it, it happened slowly. It Just little by little, I was getting further away from my family and doing things that uh, I shouldn't have done, and life was all about me. And um, I pretty much ruined uh awesome family, um, ended up, um, me and her ended up busting up and uh, went through a divorce and um, lost a lot of things, ended up losing a house, even lost a GT Mustang, I hated losing, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and just my, my family was in, in, in turmoil, I, I was miserable, I was lost, I didn't know what to do, I, I was trying to fix everything. I, myself I put everything on me. I was trying to fix her, telling her what she needed to do, telling the kids what they needed to do and and uh listening to my friends that wasn't in church or did or didn't have godly values and things and I was really messed up and I got to uh, <coughs> a point where I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any hope. I thought uh that uh life wasn't gonna get any better and it, it didn't look good. And then uh <coughs> well hang on a minute, let me get all emotional. <coughs> Kind to of tough us out. <laughs> anyway, uh, Tony and Denise lived across the street from me, and they'd always invited me to this church. And uh, one day, uh, <coughs> like I said, I, at the time I had a um, get myself together here. I had a <coughs> – I've had all three kids by myself. She wouldn't have nothing to do with me, or or, or um, pretty much, you know. We it, it was in channels. I'd gotten laid off. Uh, the money was tight. Uh, everything, everything was was going going wrong. So I, I decided that I was going I was you know things had to change. So I walked in this church. I came over and I uh, <coughs> I sit right over here and <coughs> hang on man. Right. Nah, <coughs> I don't know why I'm getting all choked up, but anyway, I I was I was miserable. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't know where to turn. If Pastor Paul was the preacher then, and he walked by. I'm trying to hurry this. Uh, he walked by and, and and just took one look at me and knew that uh, that I was in trouble. <coughs> Come on, man. Anyway, uh, anyway, so he, he, Pastor Paul, brought me up, and uh, he prayed for me. Um, he put his hands on me and. Uh, I felt the Holy Spirit go in me right then. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh He put his hands on me and prayed on me. And I, I felt like when he got through that I was standing this tall. Uh, and my feet off the ground. And um so I started coming to this church, and, you know, I felt something then, and I expected when I got up, I went home the next morning that everything was going to be fine. Well, it wasn't, you know. If things were a little bit better, at least I had a, I had a glimmer of hope and, and things like that. But, <clears throat> you anyway, know, I started coming to church, and I, I really couldn't get enough. I started coming more and more. <coughs> and uh, uh, Pastor Paul would speak to me, and I, I would add, I'd tell Pastor Paul, well, She's doing this. They're doing this. I I wanted, you know, everybody else to be fixed. I wanted, uh, you know, I I wasn't the problem. You know, everybody else was. I'd point to this and that. Well, she needs to do this and do that. And Pastor Paul used to want to take his Bible and beat me over the head with it. Like, listen, (laughs) you need to seek God for yourself. God wants you. You you seek God for your, you get with God and get a personal relationship with God. And then God will take care of everything else. Uh, You know, that you're wanting fixed. uh, (coughs) Anyway, so it it didn't happen. You know, it took a long time. And took, um, uh, I put that man through a lot. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Pastor Paul was an awesome man. Anyway, he worked on me, and uh, we talked a lot, and I kept coming to church, but uh, one of the biggest things is uh, things wasn't much changing, and uh, when I would pray, I used to pray for myself. I'd pray for what Mitch needed, what, what I needed financially, my family, my kids, uh, you know, put my family back together and things like that. i always pray for myself, but uh, Tom invited me. And I encouraged every one of you. Tom invited me. On Tuesday nights, they have prayer here. And uh, he invited me to prayer. So I came in, and I didn't, I didn't know much about it or what to do. Or, You know, I like I said, I always prayed for myself. I never, I had so many problems and everything that I never thought about praying for other things or other people. But uh, Tuesday night, they had prayer. And I came in. And I'd sit here for a little while, and then and I would, uh, people would pray, and then I, I would throw out something, and then I'd think, man, that was stupid, you know, I'd think, I didn't know what I was doing, and I'd say some things, but slowly and slowly, I started coming in more, and I started learning, I started praying, and uh, learned to pray for other people, and other things, and, and needs of other people, and uh, pretty soon, i started praying, and I'd probably pray for five, 10, 15 minutes, they would probably tell him, when's he going to shut up, but <laughs> Or, but I, I would pray, and then I was like, where did that that come from? Because it didn't come from me. It was God was using me to, to prayers like he does everybody in prayer. And I, I encourage it, every one of you that if you want your prayers answered, come here on Tuesday night and pray. Pray for other people. Pray for the church, the, the community, the, uh, the government, and you start uh, things like that. as I did that, God started fixing things in my life, <clears throat> and, and uh, slowly things started coming coming back together. Uh, uh, I was doing a lot better, so my kids were doing better. And uh, as he, you know, he were, and, and Pastor Paul worked, you know, got me straightened out. And Tom, uh, uh, and each and every one of you, each and every one of you here, in a small way, has, has helped me. And when I first came to church, nobody ever pointed fingers at me. Nobody ever got my business. Everybody here in each little way was there when I needed to pour out or talk to somebody about what I was going through. But like I said, prayer come to prayer on Tuesday nights and, and pray. And and God slowly, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but slowly started working. I looked behind me and things were getting fixed, that life was getting better. And uh, pretty soon he started working on Angela. Next thing I know, she's she's in the church and things are going going good and uh you know, uh, like I said, uh, prayers have been answered. Uh, um, like I said, I ended up losing the house, car, wife, family. But God has, re- is, I've been redeemed here, and uh, I'm not the man I used to be. This church has slowly changed me. And when it did that, I started working, when God work on me, he changed everybody else in my life behind me. And, and things are now better now, than ever. Are. We got another house. That we got another house we're about a little bit too far away from here but uh uh we love it where we are we put our family back together and uh we just we're going to get remarried today so you know that's a miracle in itself from where we were you know and uh, he's fixed our addictions our <coughs> all our problems and uh we live for God I mean I get up in the morning to go to work I see her reading her daily devotional and and things and uh all that but uh <coughs> It's just been a big, big. This church means everything to me. I mean, it. Uh, I've always been loved. I have fun here, um, and uh, it's changed my life. And I believe the Holy Spirit's here. I've been, went to other churches. I never felt what you know what I what I felt here and the love and stuff that I felt here. But uh, uh, God will work miracles out in your life. And if you knew me before six, seven years ago, then now that it's it's a big miracle, the, the change I have. And not only that, I have my friends call me now. I've had friends have friends that called me here last week that, that like about even committing suicide. Things look so bad in this life. And I was able to use my experience and the things that I've gone through to talk to him. And, you know, I, I've got it feels good to know that God uses you to help other people that's going through the things that I went through and I'm sure everybody here goes goes through stuff and and um he uh, he'll answer your prayers but I, I can encourage you if you have never been here on Tuesday night it's very important to come here on Tuesday night and and pray they, we get a group of people up here and we pray about everything else and then and then if you need prayer yourself you know everybody all get together praying. To pray and there's there's power in numbers and uh God is true and God is faithful, and uh, that's what this church has done for me. This church has made my life better than it's ever been, and I thank you for that. But anyway, so we're getting married today. Uh, I know everybody—it's Labor Day. Her mother and sisters in town, so we—we we were planning on this, so we sped it up. So I had that chance to tell everybody, but. Uh, Uh, it's Labor Day weekend as long as like her mom and sister and and my kids and everybody that went through the things that we went through uh, it's here that's fine I I know everybody wants to eat so nobody has to be here but if you just pray and thank God for working out miracles that's fine with me
0: (laughs) I told you this was the house of prayer the way Jesus intended it, and the Holy Spirit was here on you, brother Mitch, to help you through that. Thank you for sharing. I'm very—I don't know of a better way to say it—is probably a better way. I shouldn't say proud, but I'm proud of you guys for sticking it out, going through everything you've been through, and and keeping God first place in your life. And that's how you do it. That's how winning's done. You just keep getting back up and keep pressing into God. You miss it. Turn to First John 1, 9 and receive your forgiveness and you get back up and you try to again. Well, before King David was King David, he was just regular David. And you may remember that he killed Goliath and, and uh, he got into King Saul's army. He became a great warrior for King Saul who was king over Israel at the time. And he was such a great warrior, had such a heart for God, had such an anointing on his life that he was anointed as king years and years before he ever became king. And he would be so successful in battle, all the women of the kingdom would sing songs like, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And boy, oh, King Saul, boy, he was a little insecure. He, he was a rough king. And uh... He didn't like that. He was so jealous of David that he began to try to kill David. David had to run from him. Now, David, all he had ever done was try to do the right thing. And he had been faithful to Saul. But now he's running from Saul. And after a series of events, he finds himself in this lonely cave of Adullam. I don't know where it's at, but it's somewhere. And he's, he's hiding because everybody seems like the whole world's trying to get him. Now, you may feel like that. You may have come in here and you said, you know what? I tried to serve this world. I tried to serve the ways of this world and the king of this world, and you know who the king of this world is, don't you? The little G God of this world, the devil. I tried to be faithful, <laughs> but it seemed like he's trying to kill me. Well, hello, <laughs> wake up. That's that's what we've been trying to tell you. The devil just is tr- here to kill, steal, and destroy. And so if you find yourself, you know, hiding and running from, and you don't know where to turn, I can imagine how David felt in that cave of Adullam, sitting in there in a dank cave in the dark thinking, I'm all by myself. And I ain't done anything wrong. I've tried to serve the Lord. What in the world's going on? But just right after that, his family found out where he was at, and they came to David. And then other guys who felt pretty much like David, they begin to be drawn to David, and it says in 1 Samuel 22:2, 2, that everyone that was in distress, have you ever felt any distress? Everyone that was in debt, to get a loud amen on that. Everyone that was discontented. I know there was a time in my life, man, I didn't even know why I was here. It just didn't make sense. What is life all about? I was discontented. But all these people gathered themselves unto David, and he became a captain over them, and there were about 400 men. So his his good deeds did make a difference, and people began, the, the discontented, the downtrodden, the misfits of life began to be drawn to David. And David started to train these guys. He started teaching them a better way. Look, you don't have to. Be like, you don't have to thieve anymore. Look, let's do things right. Let's do things God's way. One man stood up and began to teach this group of misfits how to serve the Lord. And pretty soon, I mean, it's a pretty successful group of men he's got here. They're winning battles and they're uh, taking ground and doing things for the kingdom of God. It's pretty awesome. And this is before king, he was King David. But once he got crowned king, Guess what happened? What happened to these misfits after he became king? You know, once you get to be king, what happened to to all these 400 that had been faithful to David? Well, I'll tell you a little bit later. But right now we're going to turn to Ephesians 2.19 in your Bibles. It's in the New Testament. It's a got six chapters on it. It's a little bitty old book. Probably tells you more wisdom than you've collected all all these years so far in these six chapters. So you you ought to read the Bible sometime. It's a good little old book. Before we get to to uh, verse 19, he had already just in the same chapter told us that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and not in works. See, that right there would straighten up America. Because America, all of us think if we're good, we're going to get to heaven. (laughs) Not so. You're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had already told us that we're brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. That we have peace with God through Jesus. And that we have access to God by his Holy Spirit. It's a good book. You ought to read it. That's all in chapter 2. But after saying all that, he brings us to verse 19. And I'm going to read it out of the message translation. It says, he says, now you're no longer wandering exiles. In other words, you're not just a wandering bunch of misfits with no purpose. Don't know why you're here and discontented and in debt and in trouble and addicted and all these things. It says the kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers and outsiders. You belong here. Isn't that what you always long for, something to belong to? Isn't that why people join gangs and such? They just want to belong. He says you have as much right to the name Christian as anyone. Somebody needs to hear that. Some of you are thinking, "Well, I'm not that Beaver Cleaver family. I I haven't done things right." And, and I think of I think of Christians as this cookie cutter Christian model that that we, you know, we try to stamp everybody into the no, it, it just doesn't work like that. Individuals are individuals. you got your own DNA. you got your own personality. you got your own looks and, and traits. We're all individuals. And like I said, we're all at different places. But we all can have right to the name of Christian just as soon as anybody else. And it says God is building a home, and he's using us all, irrespective of how we got here. Why don't you just put your past behind you? Irrespective of how you got here today, listen to this. He's using he's used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, but now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. It ain't gonna work without Jesus. The house will not stand. The cornerstone. That's where it starts. Your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for him is what makes this a home. (laughs) Without the love of Jesus, we might as well just call ourselves a country club. You'll be here a while and then you'll go somewhere else that's got better amenities. You know, better programs or something. But it says, we see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God all of us built into this temple, a temple which God is quiet at home. He's quiet at home. He feels at home here. He feels at home in, among the church. That's where God wants to dwell is with his people. You remember when they were traveling through the wilderness, he put himself in a little box just so he could be near them, near his people, the Ark of the Covenant, just so he could be near. But now, The temple's been rent, praise God, by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And our hearts have been opened, and now we have become temples of the living God. He has come into our hearts. And in this scripture, we see that we are the citizens of the kingdom of God now. We are members of God's family. It's more than just a a gathering of people. It's a family, like they said. We are God's house when we meet together when we come together we're God's house where he wants to be now what's the the common thread of what's the word that I emphasized in all of those four things we We. church is not a building it's a people let me say that again the church is not a building has nothing to do with the brick and mortar the church is not a building it's a people It is a we. It's a we. Some people, you know, they may be real spiritual, and they say, but I'm the temple of the living. You know, I'm the temple of God. Now, he dwells in me. I'm, I'm the church. I've heard people say, you know, I am the church. I don't need to go to church. I am the church. Well, yes, you do have, you are a temple of the Holy Ghost. But listen, you're just a brick in the church. It takes all of us to make up a church. The church is never a me. The church is a we. Today's message is entitled, A We Little Church. Not a W-E-E little church. A W-E little church. You say, that's a bad confession, Pastor. We want to grow. We're not, we don't say we're little. Well, we're a wee little church now, but we're growing into a wee big church. But the main thing is that we stay a wee church, that it's about us. It's not about any one person. It's not about the building. It's not about the programs. It's about the we. Amen? God loves the we. Haven't you noticed that? Before I met God, I was all alone in here. It was just me. That's why I was discontented. That's why I didn't know why I was even here. I was losing perspective. I had no perspective. And I would often talk to myself, you know, let's be honest, we all talk to ourselves. I would often talk to myself and I would say, what am I going to do? But once I gave my heart to Jesus and I became a we, he came into my heart and it's no longer just me. Wherever I go, it's a we now. What do I say? I wake up in the morning, I say, what are we going to do today? With a new fresh perspective, because if God be for me, who can be against me? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank God it made me more than overcomers in Him who loved us. Thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I can do anything, I can do all things. Amen. What are we gonna do today, God? It's not just little old me, I know me. When, when I'm excited, it's because I know Him in me. He's the hope of glory. God loves the weed, So let's talk about it. Let's kind of get a perspective. What is this kingdom of God thing? Well, the kingdom of God is where God reigns and rules. It's about where his authority reigns supreme. It's what what life is like when God is in charge. Jesus went about healing and, and setting people free and doing good to all. That's where the kingdom of God, you'd known the kingdom of God had been there. It's life as God intends it. It's not a physical location. It's where he rules. And where he wants to rule is in our hearts. We're Christians. Once we we ask Jesus into our heart, what we're doing is we're changing allegiance. We're changing our allegiance from King Saul, so to speak, the king of this world, to King Jesus, the king of heaven's armies, the king of... The kingdom of God. See, we're changing allegiance. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We walk and we move and, and stuff down here, but we're not of here. In John 17, 16, Jesus prayed to the Father. He said, they don't belong to the world any more than I do. And in James 1, 27, he says, keep yourselves unspotted from the world. You know, now that you've changed allegiance, come on out of that darkness and into the kingdom of light. There's a better way. Our allegiance must be to Jesus as citizens of the kingdom of God. Wednesday night, we had uh, Glenn Roseberry. He's a missionary from Africa, Tanzania. And uh, one of the things he said was so powerful He said, when Jesus called people to be his disciples, he didn't say, well, come on along part-time and see if you like it and try it out. No, he says, you must hate your mother and father and brother and sister and children compared to your love for me. You must forsake all that you have and come follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. Jesus was kind of straight to the point. He says, your first allegiance must now be to me if you're going to be my disciple. He didn't say, he didn't mean that you actually hate your mother and father. He's just saying in comparison to your love for me, I must be first place in your life. And see, what we have today is people who call him Lord in an effort to feel like they have a ticket to heaven. You know, they want to be part-time. They want to still have their foot in the world and have their foot In the kingdom of heaven at the same time. But if you're in that position, if you haven't given your full allegiance, you know what? When he says, confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, back in those days, they meant Lord. That means he's the boss. I mean, there was no gray area in it. That means you're turning over. See, over in Africa, in these Muslim nations where he's ministering, when they give their allegiance to Jesus and they switch from the Muslim faith, that means they're going to lose their family. That means they're going to lose their business, their house, their home. They're probably going to have to be put in a safe home somewhere to live. They're probably going to have to go underground to give their heart to Jesus. So they count the cost. And what he was saying is, is if you're somebody who haven't count the cost, you're somebody who's just, I want Jesus as far as he can take me but I'm not really taking up my cross and following him. You're something that God never intended. You're an in-betweener somewhere, and God never intended that. He never said just come follow me on the weekends. He said come take up your cross and follow me. I just thought I'd throw that out there. But let's talk about this. So if we're of the kingdom of God, oh, another thing he said is, Disciples, only disciples can make other disciples. And that was his great commandment, to go out and make disciples, right? That's the great commission, to go out and make disciples. He said, unless you're a disciple, you can't make other disciples because everything produces after its own kind. And that's why we have so many in America that's lukewarm Christians, that's not living for Jesus, that's not sold out, because we, we present Jesus like just a ticket to heaven. Say this prayer, this magic prayer, and you'll be saved. But no, there's got to be repentance in your heart. There's got to be, a, a, there's got to be a switching of allegiance. I follow you now, Lord. Everything that I have is yours. You tell me what to do with it. I, I am yours, and yours alone. Well, anyway, in any kingdom, I mean, in any, yeah. Like, let me put it like this. Okay, America is the American kingdom. You could say or whatever. Around the world, we have, in other nations, embassies. And that's what the church is like for the kingdom of God. See, now our allegiance is to God in heaven, to a foreign country. We're not of this world. We're just now been made ambassadors to a different kingdom. And the embassy is the church. You can go to any nation in the world pretty much and they'll have an American embassy and they'll have an ambassador there, somebody who represents the sending nation in all its affairs. He's the representative, representative of that kingdom that he, he serves. He's protecting the, indus, the uh, interest of that sending nation and its citizens and he's advancing the interest of that nation. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you see When you gave your heart to Jesus, he says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now I'm sending you out as ambassadors for my kingdom. See, Jesus is going to come and set up his kingdom here on the earth soon, but he hadn't done it yet. In the meantime, we're strangers and foreigners in this land, but we are ambassadors. He has made you his representative to the kingdom of God and the embassy is the church. Jesus set it up that way so the church would be your safe place. As an ambassador, I ask, are you representing, are you showing a a true picture of what the way the kingdom of God operates or the way the citizens of the kingdom of God ought to live? I know when I worked at a place called Power & Tail, they would make us dress in business casual, and we were like, wow, we're in this office, you know, in these cubicles, nobody ever sees us, why can't we just be casual, you know, why can't we just wear jeans and t-shirts or whatever? But about once or twice a month, they'd bring a customer through, and they cared about the image of power and tail. Do you care how we're representing the kingdom of God? I'm not talking about the dress now, don't get all carnal on me, I'm... Don't matter the way you dress. I'm talking about when people see you. Do they do they have to wonder if you're a Christian or not? If you were convicted of, uh, of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to actually convict you? Right? Can people sense that there's there's the love of God in you that you are a child of God, and are you protecting the church of God? Like I said, there's so much stuff going on, on the internet and people talking and in the media these days. Everybody's is keeping on the church, bad in the church. Do you join into that? That's a pet peeve of mine. It really. I mean, I know that there's churches out there, and I do it myself. There's churches out, I, I often badmouth the church from up here, other churches. I shouldn't do that. Because think about it. If we're doing if we're talking bad about our, our church. Man, that's just giving license to all those guys that are saying oh, they're all just hypocrites. They're like, yeah. See, he's a, he's a Christian. He's saying the same thing I'm saying. That's why I don't go. We can't give them more of an excuse than they already have. We're talking like the devil again. Look, yeah, there, there are problems in the church. We can be honest about it. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are churches out there that ain't serving the Lord but claim to be. And there are people uh, in it for the money, in it for these kind of things. And uh, it's wrong but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you still got to understand that we are still Jesus' favorite project. We are still his passion. We're still what he loves, what he died for, what he bled for on the cross. So let's not talk bad. Let's protect the house of God. Let's talk intelligently when we talk about it. Stand up for the word of God. Stand up for Jesus in these times. You know, don't be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and the salvation to them that believe. We have the words of eternal life. We have to be strong in what we believe and not cave and cower to the spinsters and the talking points of the dark kingdom that we now reside in. We have to be a city on a hill. We need to be the light of the world. If salt has lost its flavor, what good is it? We're supposed to be salty people. So I'm not saying fight or cause, you know, argue over these things, but certainly don't join in and don't be ashamed of the things of the God. You're uh, The kingdom of God, you're an ambassador, and you need to keep that in the back of your mind. And are you advancing the kingdom of God, or are you just a hireling? You ever worked at a job and you just do enough just to get by? You're just there for the paycheck. Or do you believe that what we're talking about, the kingdom of God and the church of God is important? in these times in which we live are you helping advance the things that the church is doing the embassy our church is supposed to be a safe place you know if you're in a hostile region and maybe the middle east and you're in an american embassy and, and there's riots on the street and they're looking for americans to kill you go into the embassy you've got gates and walls and you've got marines to protect you it's supposed to be a safe place and so, when we come into the church of God, it should be a safe place. It, it should be a place where you can, you can tell your business on the microphone, and people are going to love you. People are going to be on your side. They're not going to spread your business all over the place. When you come to somebody in confidentiality and you need help and you're asking for somebody and you're reaching out. It's not like the world where they're just going to take advantage of and see what they can get out of the situation, blackmail you or whatever. No, it's a safe place. It's a filling station because this is a long life, and we grow weary and well-doing at times, and we need encouragement. Encouragement is one of the main things the church gives one another so that we can get back out into the fight each week. That's one of the main things we give each other. It's a hub of our purposes and our efforts. I used to not understand that when I first got saved. I was so, you know, still had that individuality thinking, you know, and I was thinking, well, I'll give my tithes to the church, but I'll choose who I give offerings to, you know, and I would. we were giving to different missionaries and choosing who we, and, and I started my own ministry. I had to have my own ministry. We had to a, a music ministry. We started, a, had the, all these uh, ideas to start my own ministry, and I, none of what I was doing was I filtering through the church. And God began to deal with me. No, you know, I work through the church, and if you're working outside of the church, you're missing it. You're doing it wrong, and so I began to realize if I don't like the missionaries that my church is supporting, if I don't like the way they're doing, if they're not doing outreaches, if they're not doing stuff, instead of just complaining and going do it myself, I'm planted in that church to help make healthy change, and so I begin to say, hey, I've got an idea, pastor, or I've got an idea, team leader. Why don't we do it this way, and so through many things that I didn't agree with. I've been here 19, 20 years in this church now. I got saved here, too. And uh, I feel like I've been able to make some changes. I think me sticking it out when I wanted to leave, it's easy to leave. You can go to the next church, and they'll seem like they got it together for a little while, too. Right? Until you begin to get on the surface, and you realize you're dealing with people there, too. And so you can run to that church, but we need to be like oaks planted by the living water. If God called you to a place, if God puts you in a family, you don't just up and uproot family. You don't leave family. That's not the godly way. God calls you to where He puts you so that you can bloom. you can help the other people. If you've got better ideas, then by all means, let's, let's work with the better idea. This should be a place where you should be able to share your thoughts and help, and we should concentrate our efforts. There's wisdom in numbers. There's power in agreement. Matthew eighteen nineteen: Where any two on earth agree is touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done by my Father which is in heaven, because they agree in faith. There's power in concentration of prayer, like we do on Tuesday nights. There's power one a set of to set a thousand a flight two set ten thousand to flight. there's power when we put our finances together there's power when we put our abilities and our anointing together all your gifts and talents when we put them together i was talking to chad yesterday we was watching a football game i said you know it just came to me i said if just the american church would put as much heart into their christianity as they do into football we would solve the hunger problem in, a, in the world. We would solve the war problem. I mean, we could solve everything if we would just put as much effort as they do into football. We train these little kids from an early age to play football. And we get them at sc- college scholarships and people selling their sold and to, to be at the game and have season tickets. And, and I mean, it's the biggest thing in the world. Football. If we put half that amount into our Christianity we could solve all the problems of the world there wouldn't be any hungry tonight everybody would be fed but we got to come together to do that Leviticus 26.8 says five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand there's power when we come together in night oh my goodness I don't think we're going to be on time today how much of this can I miss? <laughs> we got a whole month, yeah. <laughs> but I've already got sermons ready for the <laughs> Okay, 1975, in Saigon, Vietnam. A weird situation was happening. The North Vietnamese had 150,000 troops surrounding the city of Saigon. And America was at the end of a long taxing war that we were trying to get out of and the only Americans left in Vietnam were, were those in the embassy in Saigon they had already blown up their airstrips so we couldn't fly them out in, in jets and big airplanes and so they had to go all the way down to plan number c <laughs> and they said let's send in helicopters to try to evacuate the last few people that we have but it was over a thousand people it was I think it was like 1,300 and something Americans were still there. They, because you understand, when the North Vietnamese came in, they were going to kill whatever Americans were there and whether, whatever South Vietnamese were there that had supported the Americans. And so the order was given to start the evacuation. And in about a 24-hour period, they had a series of 17 helicopters, different makes and Hueys and so forth, would go. And all the people that were inside the embassy— were lining up to get up on top of that one roof where these helicopters were landing and stuff themselves. They couldn't even bring their luggage. They were just trying to get out because it was it a was dire situation. All the South Koreans were outside the gate trying to get in because they knew they were going to be killed and they were wanting to get out, but they could only get so many out. But the ones that were inside were able to get on, and they evacuated 1,300-something Americans and over 5,000 South Vietnamese on 17 helicopters in like a 24-hour period, the greatest evacuation story in history. They, they flew them over to a, a waiting uh, aircraft carrier out in the ocean. And th- they had so many helicopters, the Vietnamese people, uh, helicopters started flying, and they were trying to do it too, and they couldn't all land on this one carriers, carrier, so they were pushing off Vietnamese helicopters out into the ocean just to make room for the other helicopters. It was, man, it was a crazy situation trying to evacuate people. And let me just tell you this, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back to evacuate his ambassadors, those that are inside the embassy. He's going to pluck us out of a war-weary land. It's coming. I mean, I know that being here today in America and seeing what you see, it feels like, man, it's been a long battle like they felt back in Vietnam, Vietnam days. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we find out that Jesus is coming back. with The shout of the archangel and the the voice of God to Trump. And then the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. He's going to take us up out of here. Will you be ready? Will you have the credentials of the embassy? Are you inside the embassy? Are you inside the walls? Are you looking for his coming? Because at the end there, there were people trying to hang on the helicopter and it was taking off and they was having to drop from way up. And it was just, you can look on the internet and see the pictures of people falling off the helicopter, trying to get on that helicopter because you don't want to be left behind. Isaiah forty nine says, O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintop. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem, shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah Your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he's bringing his reward with him when he comes. You see, God is going to come back. He's going to take us out of here, and he's going to deal with this world for about seven years and give them one last chance to repent, and then he's coming back. He's setting up a new kingdom here on this earth where we will rule and reign with him forever. Those who are found faithful in the time in which we live, until Jesus comes back and takes us out of here, the church has to be a visible, tangible expression of the kingdom of God. We can't, we we've got to fill this embassy. Woe unto us if we're like the, the people on the Titanic that put four in a boat, you know. Rich people didn't want any others in the boat with them or something, you know, and people died because they didn't fill the lifeboats. Woe unto us if we don't get everybody out of here that we can in time. The church, the church, the church. <laughs> I'm trying to preach real fast now because I'm out of time. The church demonstrates the God, of, uh, the will of God to the world. God's will is not that any should perish. That we hadn't done a good job of telling people that. We've done a good job in many respects of just saying us four and no more. But that mentality has to change. I'm a hundred percent committed, a hundred percent to becoming church without spot or wrinkle that God wants us to be. I want to do what God's will is. I don't care anything about anything else. Just doing what God wants us to do. And that's where we have to get to. We have to understand our primary task as the church is the advancement of the kingdom of God. We have to advance. God's not about sitting still. If it's not, not growing, it's retarding. If it's retarding it's it doesn't have life, we The church is about life. We have to be growing. So Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That's what he came to do, to seek and save the lost. And in John 20.21 it says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So just as he came to seek and save that which is lost, that's what he's sending us to do, seek and save that which is lost. Now what about David's misfits? When he became king, surely he's going to have different royalty now. He's not going to bring up those misfits, is he? What do you think he did? David's ragged ruffians became David's reigning royalty. The world used to not have anything to do with them. Some of you may feel like the world didn't have anything to do with me. But now, today, you feel like God's reigning royalty. Or you feel like you will be God's reign and royalty when his kingdom is established. You see, there was a time where they were just serving David and didn't know what it was all about. They didn't know that he was going to be king. But see, he had already been anointed king as a child. It was coming. And believe me, Jesus is coming. Jesus will be anointed king of kings. He will rule and reign on this earth. And you may not understand exactly why you're doing what you're doing right now, but God is looking, and he is remembering the good things that you've done. And those those misguided misfits became David's mighty men. That's the way God does it. They became rulers in his kingdoms, advisors and commanders, generals. (coughs) And some of us, like I said, all of us were misfits. In some regard, we're ruffians, we're thieves, murderers, thieves. Like I said, adulterers, debtors, beggars. You fill in the blank. Where did you come from? You know your story better than anybody. But when we came to Jesus, we became part of a we. And now it's no longer about my righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness being given to me. He exchanged his righteousness for my unrighteousness. And now we have a new identity. We shouldn't see ourselves as misfits any longer. We're kings and priests unto our God and our Savior. That's the way he sees us. We're commanders, rulers, advisors in the kingdom. Fill in the blank. What are you? The lowly shepherds have become royalty in the house of the living God. Not not many rich and smart are called. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And we, say we, we will rule and reign with him for all of eternity. I was talking to Tony Santucci last weekend after church, and he was telling me about one night he said everybody went to bed, and he was still up, couldn't sleep, so he decided he was going to play his We. You know what I mean, the the game box Wii thing, W-I-I. He said he started playing the Wii, and it was always so much fun. But when he was playing it by himself, he said, it wasn't no fun at all. I just went on to bed. (laughs) Life is no fun as a Lone Ranger. The church is meant to be a Wii place. It's It's meant to be a game played together, to enjoy one another's company. You don't have to be alone. If you're a lonely person, you don't have to be. There is a place. There is a refuge. There is an embassy for you to come into, and it's called the Church of God. And I believe this church is a wonderful place where you'll feel loved and accepted, and you'll find your purpose. We'll help ignite that fire of that true purpose. You'll go through this hospital, and you'll come out healed and whole. And God will do a work in each and every one of you, and you can all get up here and give that same kind of testimony.